Hello. I was, I was all right and hello in the same word. So I'm, I'm going to start over. Hello and all right. All right. So, uh, yeah, today I'm so glad you're here, whether you are online or wherever you are around the country or if you're in this area, that's awesome. Um, and watching online, we'd love to see you at one of our locations, too. But if you're maybe you're at one of our locations and we're really glad that you are. Maybe you're podcasting this, uh, driving down the road somewhere. However you're with us, I'm glad you're with us. And before we jump into the new series and the new talk, earlier you heard about the good complex. And let me just say one more thing about that. Um, the way that's going to work, it's really the whole design of that is to connect people who have a very skeptical, dim view of Christianity to a version of Christianity they don't realize exists which is actually Jesus. I mean, it's his thing. But people, you know, that's obscured. And so it's just a way to say, hey, Christianity really comes down to a few things. The main one, the Jesus thing is, hey, this is how people know you're my disciples, as you love one another. And, And that's how we roll. And that's what this is about. And it's an opportunity as Christians to model, not only to spotlight tremendous good that's being done in the world, but also to model civil discourse and conversation in a polarized world. And, um, and, and I don't think we should wait as Christians to, for other people to start doing that. Like, I, I think we are the ones who need to be doing that and, and having hard conversations, not just with, not in the echo chamber with a bunch of people who just agree with each other, but also with people who come at it from a different perspective. And we'll, we'll maintain our perspective, but listen and learn and model that. And so you're going to be seeing that uh, over these next months. Uh, it's going to get a little bit riskier. It's going to get more fun, hopefully, and and hope and also hopefully uh, really um, really helpful. So uh, follow it, share it, and again, that's what it's designed to do. So today uh, we're starting this new series called "You Are," which is about four different things that God calls you. That when you hear them, you're like. Um, you're talking to me like I don't I don't think you're talking like that. That's I, that's not me. Like I, I don't I don't understand how I could be that. Um, it's kind of like um, and I'm sure we've had similar kinds of things happen. But last week I was in the Miami airport um, coming out of customs and and it was pretty it was very early in the morning. It was pretty empty. And but there was this guy coming toward me that was really excited to see me and like passionately excited about seeing me and he and I could tell like, he was just like all excited to see me and he was waving really big and I, I'm like yeah man I, I don't know who you are but all right you know waving and and around here I'm kind of used to that a little bit I try to be ready for that because as a pastor you know I, more people recognize me than I recognize their face so a lot of times when I if I'm in, in this area at Home Depot or at the grocery store or something, I'm like the nicest guy in the store. Because I just have to, I just sort of assume I know everybody. So I'm walking around going, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Glad you're here. Hope it's going to, and uh, they should pay me at all these places. But, and most people just look at me like weirdo. But every now and then you get somebody who's like, oh yeah, I, you're my pastor or I've, I've visited your church and whatever. And so we, and, and by the way, if you ever see me out somewhere and you, you're like, oh man, you know, should I? Say hi or whatever. Yes, please do that. If, if we're eating or doing whatever, um, like, I do this because I, mean, I love Chase Soakers. I don't do this because I dislike Chase. So please, you know, just say hi and, and, and uh, it'd be great. And just uh, hear your story a little bit. And anyway, say hi. Well, anyway, but this is Miami, right? Nobody knows me in Miami. So this guy evidently does. And so he's really excited about it. And the closer he gets, the more passionate he seems to be. So much so I can tell. I mean, he's still a ways away, but I can tell he's going in for a hug and i'm like well 
I guess that's what we're going to do, you know? So I'm kind of getting ready. And all this is happening like this, right? And then, so as he gets closer, I realize that he's not looking at me. He's looking through me, right? And I look back, and there's a a woman and a little, like, two-year-old, like a little girl behind me. And I realized, and then I felt so stupid, right, for ever doing the hello thing and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm sure we've all had that happen. But with, with this series, what we're talking about, I think it's easy to hear these things and be like, yeah, I don't, I don't know who you're talking to. Like, next week we're talking about uh, one of the things God calls us as Christ followers. And if you're not a Jesus follower, uh, I get it. That's great. This is a place for people to come and kind of figure that stuff out. And, and this is part of what you'd be signing up for if you're not a Jesus follower. If you are a Jesus follower, one of the things God calls you, all of us, is a priest. You're like, what? We're going to talk about that next week. Week after that, God, the sovereign of the universe, calls you friend. And you're like, well, how am I a friend of him? Like, what does that even mean? What does that even look like? I mean, I, I get, you know, some people have friends in high places, but wow, you know, God is like, hey, you're my friend. Like, I don't know. Uh, this week, it's certainly that way. We're talking about saint. That one of the things God calls you, it's actually really common, 67 times in the New Testament, the, the way God refers to Christians or, and people refer to each other is as saints. It's like one of the more common ways, casual ways in the New Testament that Christ, Jesus followers are referred to is saint, which it's like, what? I mean, we know about saints, like St. Patrick. He's the fun one with the green beer and everything. I don't know if you ever had green beer, but... But, you know, we know him and, and the other saints, uh, you know, in, in the church history and all that. And we're like, oh, yeah, they're... but St. Jeff doesn't quite have the ring to it like St. Patrick or, you know, St. whatever, St. Peter or St. John. or like... And it's like, how am I a saint, right? And, and, and maybe when you hear that, some of you, maybe you're a little confident, you know, in your Christian life, a little cocky. I don't know. And you're like, oh, I, I can see that. You know, I'm not perfect, but. I'm, you know, I, I'm close. But other was like, ah, oh, a saint, not so much. You know, maybe, you know, sinner I could relate to. But because actually the Bible, we're both. We're both sinners and saints. We're going to talk about that. In fact, it'd be fun to do a little game. We don't have time to do it. But at, at our campus says you could do this at home. You have time real quick. But, um, but it, it, if we just did the sinner-saint game, right, where you said, okay, if you identify more with the term saint, the label saint, then go to this side of the room. If you identify more with sinner, go to this side of the room. It'd just be interesting to see what would happen. And, and now, now, if a couple of people happen to be here, I might help them out a little bit if they were having trouble deciding, like Vladimir Putin. You know, if he was here, and I don't think he's going to be. But let's say, you know, if he's, I bet he would go over to the saint line, and I'd be like, hey, Vladimir, may want to, you know, may over, you know, I don't know, but you just may want to go to that. I, I don't want you to be embarrassed, but you need to be in the center line. But most people, right, we'd have to figure that out and say, I don't know what you'd decide. I don't know where you'd be, but I know what the New Testament calls you and me. It calls you a saint. And you're like, well, how am I a saint? Like, let me just give you one, uh, Philippians 1, 2. Uh, it was very common at the beginning of letters when Paul was referring to the whole church. He's like this one, uh, from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Now, when he says all the saints in Christ Jesus, he's not saying, yeah, I'm not talking to all of you. I'm just talking to the good ones. Right? Everybody else, you don't even need to read this letter because it doesn't apply to you. This is to the saints. He's talking to everybody. 
Uh, same way in lots of letters. He refers like Corinthians you know, to the saints. And when you read, I mean, Philippi was a church that wasn't getting along with each other. You're like, well, they didn't. They weren't really acting like they couldn't even get along. How are they saints? And, and Corinth, when he writes Corinthians, I mean, it's like, whoa, they're really messed up. Like, how, how, they're not, how are they saints? And you may feel that way, too. You're like, hey, look, I, I'm, I'm no saint, you know. Or, or maybe you're visiting somebody at, at this church and, and they, they've invited you. And you're like, yeah, hey, I'm tell, I, I hate to tell you, but this person that belongs to your church invited me. They're no saint. You know, and I get it, you know, because we're both sinners and saints. And so today we're going to talk about what that means because really what we're talking about is how sinners become saints and how God views you and me as saints and what that means. And, and essentially, this is the Christian life. Today is a really, really important conversation because if we don't understand what we're talking about today, we, we really misunderstand the Christian life. And I think most people do, not only outside of Christianity, but inside of Christianity. And if we misunderstand this one, then we're going to tend to kind of get stalled out in our progress and, and, and Christian life becomes much more miserable than it needs to be. And, and so I, my, my prayer is today is that today this conversation will be like a propellant in all of our Christian journey. Like a catalyst, like a, a jolt of fresh energy and perspective. Be like, whoa. Like when I speak, I use these five-hour energies. A lot of people said you shouldn't. They're unhealthy. You should do something else. And just send me what you want. That's fine. But, um, and I have to be careful with this this week because I'm also on steroids trying to get over a cough I've had for a month or 32 days now. And so I'm a little hyped up. So I might start preaching this week. I don't know, but it could happen because, uh, because I'm doing this. But my, uh, but my hope is that today will be kind of like that and be like, whoa. And, and I hope by the end of it, you'll be like, okay, I, I get what you're saying. So let's talk about saints. What it means as sinners to become saints and even be called and already regarded as saints. And what, that, what does that even look like? Now, so much of the New Testament is about this. I could, there's so many passages, whole books of the Bible, like Romans, that are just about this. But I'm going to go to a, a book of the Bible we don't go to very often. That's the book of Hebrews. And, and Hebrews was, we don't know who it was written by, but we know who it was written to. is a group of Jewish Christians. So people who came out of Judaism, who were now Christians, who were trying to figure out this new Jesus way, which is very different than the Old Testament law in Judaism and all the things you had to do to try to win God's favor. And essentially, they're moving from performance-based religion, which is every religion except Christianity, from performance-based religion to grace. And it's a radical change. And, and to help us out a little bit, um, I'm going to... When we talk about our standing before God and how God views you and me, um, I'm going to do a little bit of artwork. Um, Greg Holmes is here. He's one of our, uh, at Legacy right now, he's one of our um, teaching pastors. He does other things too on our staff. And you may know he's an artist, but he doesn't have, he's not the only artist on staff. I think you'll see that um, coming up here. But So we're just going to do, uh, um, okay, not bad, right? And uh, so we got that, and then uh, and then we'll do this face. And Greg, I'm not sure you would think to do this eyebrows. Okay, so now we got that. Okay, so happy face, angry face. Got it? And it'd be interesting to even think about when you think about how God views you. Do you see happy face or angry face? My guess is, if we played the Saint Center game, those who'd be go to the center line be like, yeah, probably more like this most of the time. And maybe, you know, the other people would be more like this. But what we're going to see 
is, is how our standing before God changes with this new way that Jesus came to bring. That's what Hebrews is talking about. So Hebrews 10, 1. The old system under the law of Moses, 600 and something laws, all these things you had to do in order to get to happy face from God, a good status with God, was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. I mean, that was never God's design. That wasn't like, ah, this is awesome. It wasn't awesome. It's not what he wanted. We're going to see that. What he wanted is what Jesus came to bring. So this was a, a bad preview. I mean, usually, you know, you want previews like in a movie to be good. This one's a bad preview of what's to come, meaning it, 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 it was designed to show us, man, that doesn't work and make us hungry for what will work and what God will bring. And so he talks about that. Here's the bad system, the old system. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again. Talking about the temple, these sacrifices they would do year after year. But they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. So the old system was just performance-based religion. And as I said, that's every religion on the planet, except for Christianity is unique, and we'll see why. But by performance-based religion, it's about all that we do to attain some spiritual status, some spiritual plane. Or if you believe, if a religion believes in personal God, like Old Testament Judaism, then it's all these things you have to do in order to win God's favor. But the bad news about performance-based religion is we're really bad at it. We're bad performers. We're sinners. And so we're not good at being good. And so we, you know, occasionally we do something, and, and you may be operating like this right now in your view of God. And it's like, hey, when you do good stuff, it's like God's like, all right. And then you do something bad, and God's angry, and that's what you get. And so you have to do something to try to get on God's good side again. And that in the Old Testament, that was the sacrificing. So, so I'm constantly vacillating back and forth, back and forth, constantly weighed down by guilt. Occasionally like, oh man, maybe God's okay with me for a little bit. And then I blow it again. And the sacrificing, right? That's the system that Jesus came to replace. And it is a bad system. Uh, my dad uh, owned a company, which makes it sound like a bigger deal. I mean, it was a big deal, but it was a small company. It's not like he owned AT&T or something. Like, so it was a, a small aerospace company. And, and so, but he was a business guy. And, um, and so in, I grew up in a home where we had Harvard Business Review and, and Sloan Management Review and all these things on the you know, coffee table. And I would pick those up and read them. And, and we'd have these conversations with my dad. And one of the things I heard my dad say a lot is never invest energy or money in a bad system. Never invest anything in a bad system. Don't even try to fix a bad system. Replace it. Get rid of a bad system. And he, he would say everything is about systems. Like you have where you want to go. The only way to get there is, a, is your system to get there. And if you have a bad system, then you need a good system. Like get rid of it. Get a good system. Well, this is a bad system. So Jesus came not just to tweak it, but to get rid of it and start a new one. And that's exactly what the next verse talks about. Christ said to God, when he came, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Then he said, look, I've come to do your will, to bring in your plan. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second one in place. So he canceled the old system, brings in a whole new system, a whole new way of relating to God. And it's way better. For God's will was for us to be made holy... All of us, 
Made holy, made saints, perfect ones. To be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. By his sacrifice on the cross on our behalf for us to be made holy. Not because of what we do, but because of what he's done for us. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which could never take away sins. But our high, our high priest, Jesus, offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of honor at God's right hand in heaven. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. That's when he returns. But in the meantime, here's, the, here's Christianity. For by that one offering, his death on the cross, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. He made perfect those who are being made holy. Another way to say that, you could translate it the same way. He forever made holy those who are being made holy. He forever made perfect those who are being made perfect. To understand that is understanding the Christian life. And so let's talk about that a little bit. Because it's, how do you, what does it mean he, he made holy and he's making us holy? Like he made us holy in the past for a person who begins a relationship with Jesus. He made us holy. We're saints. But at the same time, we're like, wait a minute, we're also being made holy. How does that work? What does that mean? Well, let's think about the past. Because again, we're talking about our standing with God. And by being made holy, he's saying because of Jesus, because of his work, not our work, because of his work on the cross, all you get from God is happy face. There's no angry face. Because it's not based on what you do. You don't go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, because it's not based on our performance. This is about the grace of Jesus. Paul talks about that in Romans. He says, this righteousness that we're talking about, being made saints, being holy, this righteousness, is given through faith in, Christ, in Jesus Christ to those who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. If you do the Old Testament thing or you're crazy Gentile and, and their paganism, we all come to God the same way. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. How do we get the righteousness that comes from God? How do we get a happy face standing with God that can't be taken away? How do we get that righteousness? We just read it. It's a gift. That righteousness, he says, is given. And then he says, well, well how does that work? Well, we're justified freely by his grace. Now, we're justified is a legal term, okay? It's like, it's, it's picture a judge saying, I'm going to certify you not guilty, completely without fault. It's, a, it's God looking at you and me, even though we're still sinners, and saying, you know what? Because of the work of Jesus Christ applied to you, the way I see you is holy, perfect, righteous. Second Corinthians talks about that. It says, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, and in him we might become the righteousness of God. That what God has decided to do in the new system is to take away your sin when you begin a relationship with God and give you the righteousness of Jesus. Put that in your account. I mean, imagine if Bill Gates put you on his bank accounts. And every time you go to the bank, they'd be like, so how much do you want? A billion? 500,000? What do you want? Well, I, I'm, I don't have that. Yeah, you do. What God decided to do in Jesus, for those who accept it, is to give you everything that we don't deserve. To give you everything possible. To make you, certify you, declare you 
righteous, holy, perfect. And that's the way God sees you. And that means that, as Paul says elsewhere in Romans, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus now. You'll never get condemnation face, no matter what you do. Because your standing with God is not based on what you do. Now, that's crazy. It's crazy good. It means that that you and I can rest in our relationship with God once we begin a relationship with Jesus because the reason the gospel, that word in the New Testament, it means good news. The reason the gospel is good news is because you and I are who we are and, and we have a relationship with God that can't be shaken, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus Christ has already done on our behalf. And that's why you and I can be called saints. And if we don't understand that, we'll, stri- we'll, we'll go back and forth like the old system, trying to be good enough for God and feeling guilty and running away from God and feeling, oh, man, I've got to go to church this weekend because God, you know, I blew it last weekend. I, did, I, was, I, was, I, was, I was stupid. And I better go to church now. And, we're just be, and you don't have to do it. That's not the way it works. Once you begin a relationship with Jesus, you're righteous. You're a saint. But if you're really following me here, you're like, well, wait a minute. I know I'm declared a saint, and that's the way God sees me and everything, but I'm telling you, I'm no saint. Like, if you know what I did last weekend, whoo, man, it was crazy. Um, it, was, uh, it was fun, I mean, but it was the kind of fun that has consequences, and I, that's probably, a, that was a bad move, you know? And I'm, I, I mean, I, you know, I try my best, but I'm no saint. And I get that. Because all of us are been declared saints, and yet we're also still sinners and and, and that's half the verse right that we've not only been made perfect but we're also being made perfect and the cool thing about that is god who declares you and me perfect is the one who takes takes responsibility to practically make you and me perfect he takes responsibility for your christian life once you begin a relationship with jesus he doesn't just declare you perfect he's committed to making you perfect and Kicking and screaming or going willingly, it's going to happen because he takes it on himself to do it. That's what Philippians says. The verse that says, hey, you're saints. And notice it's saints in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 6, he says, for I am sure of this very thing that the one who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That God takes responsibility for you and me to make us what he's already declared us to be saints now that's a lot to take in i know and i'm proud of you for hanging with me that's some theology stuff that is actually not just theology it's your story if your relationship with jesus it's the best news possible but how does that work saints declared saints and yet sinners becoming saints catching up to our declaration what does that mean how does that even work and that's where i want to inject some propellant uh, into this whole thing um, to say, well, well what, how does how does the Christian life work? And, 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 and what is God, you know, is, what is my part and, and how do I do this? So a few things to keep in mind here. First, we are sinners becoming saints. That, that is the Christian life, right? We've been declared, declared saints, but the process of the Christian life is we are sinners becoming saints. Now, why that's important to understand is it's not just that we're we're part sinners, part saints, like we're schizophrenic. 
Um, like, you know, we got the bad side and the good side. And, you know, we're, it's better than that. Uh, we're in process. We, all of us, is being transformed. And God is working on us. We, and therefore, we should expect progress. Like, we're getting better. And you may not feel like you're getting better, but if you have a relationship with God, God says, the work I began in you, I will complete. Meaning he is committed to making you better. Now, we'll talk about how we can speed that up. But he is committed to making you and me better. And we should expect to get better, become better people, have better relationships, at least on our side of it. Um, that, that should be expected. Like, but it can be discouraging transformation because sometimes it's slow and it's tricky. Like I talked about taking steroids for my cold or I had a cold May 1st and I still have this cough, right? And, I'm, and so I, this week, I, I mean, I finally started antibiotics and steroids and all that because it feels like I'm going to always have, like, I'm always going to be like this. I'm always going to be coughing the rest of my life. I'm going to be coughing. I'm gonna, I, that has to happen to somebody. That's my story. I mean, I'm going to be waking myself up all the time, and, and it, it's just it's discouraging, right? So I said, like, man, I've got to go do something. And maybe you feel like that in your Christian life. You just feel like, man, I just, I'm struggling with the same things. I don't feel like I'm making progress. I don't. And, but what I want to encourage you is, is that you will make progress. Now, you can speed it up. We'll talk about how. But God is committed to your growth. It's just it takes time. It's like another business thing I heard a long time ago, not from my dad, but I've heard it from a lot of people, is that we tend to overestimate what we can do in the short run and underestimate what we can do in the long run. You know, like businesses do that all the time. They'll talk about, here's what we're going to do this quarter. We're going to, you know, reach the world or whatever. You know, all this stuff, right? This is our quarter. And you're thinking, yeah, it's not going to happen. Because it's not going to happen that short. We tend to overestimate what's going to happen in, in a short time, but underestimate what can happen over a period of time. And that's what I get to see as a pastor. I get to see massive transformation over time. People who were not so patient becoming patient. You know, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are the things that, that, that that's what maturity looks like. And, and we should expect to be, become over time more patient, more righteous. Uh, more loving, more gentle. That, that's our future, and God's committed to it. So be encouraged. We're sinners becoming saints, and he's going to make sure it happens. But you and I have a part to play, too, if we want. God takes the responsibility to grow us, but we help set the pace. I mean, he's committed, Philippians 1, to begin what he started, but he invites you and me to walk with him. And I love that phrase. And the Bible uses it all the time, to walk with him in newness of life, because he's working in our life, and we can either resist him, or we can submit to him. We can walk with him, and we can take the kind of steps that God is calling us to take. And you and I help set the pace. If we resist, it'll be slower. If we engage, it'll obviously be faster, Right? And even, uh, and, and even if we take good steps or bad steps, here's the next principle, we can, it, can actually, it can actually, if we do it the right way, propel us in, the Christian, in, in our Christian life. So that's the next principle. Our good steps and our missteps can propel, both propel us forward in the journey. Even our missteps. Well, let's talk about our good steps, okay? So when we think about good, that makes sense, right? If you take good steps and you're walking with God, you're more likely to grow spiritually, right? But let's talk about how that works. This is how the Christian life works. So, so God is the one who grows us. You can't change yourself. You can't change your spouse. You can't change your friend, whatever. But God can. So how does he change us? 
Well, he meets us in certain disciplines or certain things that he asks us to do. And around here, we call them the five faith catalysts. And so you'll hear us talk about that. Practical teaching, private disciplines, personal ministry, providential relationships, pivotal circumstances. I don't have time to talk about all those. But right now, you're doing one of them. That's practical teaching. Just coming to church is a discipline. This isn't something we do for the heck of it. It's something we do to gather together, to encourage one another. It's something we do as we worship God and sing these songs. It reframes the way we think. It, it, it reframes our, our way of, of uh, just even in the week of, of lifting our eyes above what's going on to see God. But also, when we open up the Bible and give practical Bible teaching and God speaks and we apply it, if you do that over time, you're going to grow, especially the more intentional you are. Like, I was talking to a family last week, and it seems like more and more people are doing this, which is really cool. But people who go to church, and then they'll go to lunch together, or if it's Friday night, they'll go to, you know, get dessert or dinner together, talk about the message, and just say, hey, you know, what's going, you know, what, what did you hear? What did God say to you? What would it look like to apply this in our life? And, uh, and what happened from last week? And, and uh, I, was, uh, I was traveling last week with a family who does that every week, and it was really cool to hear their story as a whole family they just have this sort of weekly conversation and what happens over time when you do that, right? God grows us over time as we engage the disciplines. Now, good stuffs make sense. And I would encourage you this summer to think about, as you think about those five things, practical teaching, private disciplines, things like being in the Bible. You can go on our app and there's an opportunity on the Chase Oaks app to be in the Bible every day, to pray personal ministry, to get engaged in a ministry, let God use you, providential relationships, being, around, being in a small group or being around an intentional group of people that are helping each other grow, pivotal circumstances, just things that happen that like suffering and difficulty or opportunities that stretch us. Whenever things go on, those are all catalysts that can grow us. Let me encourage you this summer to choose one of those to say, you know what, I want to make that more of a reality in my life. Now, pivotal circumstances just kind of happen. So if something's happening to you, just embrace it for the opportunity it is, even if it's difficult. But maybe for you, it's like, you know what? I'm going to make church a more priority. I'm going to get in a group or I'm going to, I'm going to serve in ministry or something like that. You, you choose. But what about missteps? Like, in, and by missteps, I'm talking like sin. When you and I sin, how does that work? Because in the old way of thinking, right, the old system, when we sin, well, we get angry face, right? And, and now we're, we're down here. We've got to do something, sacrifice, get make up for it, do something to get out of it. But as we've seen, that's not the Jesus way. That's not what he came to bring. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We never get angry face. So what does our sin do to God? Our standing, it doesn't shake our, our, our standing with God, but what does sin do in our relationship with God? Like when you and I blow it, when you sin, even a whopper, you know, a big one. What does that do in our relationship with God? Again, it doesn't change our standing with God. There's, there's no more of this. It actually pulls God closer is what we're going to see, not farther away in anger. You might think you'd be like, oh, man, you, you know, after all I've done for you, you know, you get away from me. You're terrible. It actually moves, us, moves him toward us in compassion. The Bible says, where, this is in Romans 2, where, where sin abounds, the more you sin, grace abounds more. Meaning you and I can never out-sin His grace. Every time we sin, His grace abounds more. It doesn't mean He's excited about it. 
In fact, you could draw another one, I guess, and make a sad face because the Bible does say he grieves when, you know, certain like sin caused him to grieve. Why? Because it makes him sad because sin has consequences. It's not like God's excited about sin. Sin's terrible and it always has consequences. And so just like with your kids, right, you, you grieve, your heart goes out to your kids when they make a bad decision. But it's not like you ride them out of the family. You know, like I had two boys, you know, and, and raising them, like when they did something stupid or sinful, like I was like, you guys, you're, you're out of here. Get, just, just go. No, they're my son, right? They're my child. And, and it doesn't mean that I didn't discipline. It doesn't mean I didn't have sorrow. Um, doesn't mean that, you know, there weren't consequences because there's always consequences to sin. But as a parent, my heart actually went out to them even more as I helped them move through the consequences that sin inevitably brings. And in that process, actually draws us closer. That's the way God is. It draws us closer. Let me give an illustration. So I was thinking about this uh, um, the other day because I got to spend time with my little granddaughter, Eden. And, uh, and a lot of you wonder who's the you know, most beautiful person in the world and, you know. I guess I better be careful with that, um, with Christy too. But, but you know, Eden is, is our little, you know, one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter, and she's amazing and so smart, so much smarter than every other kid. And, uh, and so I was, I was, you know, we were hanging out, and, and you know, she's one-and-a-half at a restaurant. We're eating, so she's getting a little bored. So I took her on a walk, and I was outside at this little strip center that had ice cream place. So we're walking, and if you're a granddad walking by an ice cream store with a grandkid, the Bible says somewhere you're supposed to go in and get ice cream. And so I, I went in and got ice cream, birthday cake, ice cream, sweet firefly in Richardson, if you're familiar with that. And, uh, and so we you know, get that. But it made me think of a story with my dad and sin and ice cream. So I, uh, I was probably five or six years old. And, and I, I don't know what I did, but I, it, it was, my, my parents were not overly strict. And they were not like kind of people. And so I, whatever I did, I deserved discipline and I deserved consequences, right? So um, I did something. And at this family reunion, we were hosting at our house. And, and the bummer was we were making homemade ice cream, or they were. You know, homemade, like with those machines, you know, that make the noise. You know, you know, there were two of them. And they were making peach ice cream, which, what's that? That's nasty. And then... Um, I mean, you don't make broccoli. Why would you make peach ice cream? Anyway, so they, peach ice cream, and then they were making chocolate chip ice cream, which is much more like it, right? One of those will be in heaven, and one of them not so much. So, so you have chocolate chip ice cream, right? And I love it, right? It's my, I love chocolate. So I was so excited about it. Well, I did something bad, and my discipline, I mean, go to your room, no ice cream. And as like a six-year-old, man, I was crushed, you know? So I remember... I still remember it. This was just one of those vivid memories. I'd go back to my room, sitting on my bed for, it felt like 24 hours, you know, as a six-year-old. It was probably 10 minutes. But I'm sitting there on my bed, just sulking. And then the door opens. And it's my dad. And he's got two bowls of chocolate chip ice cream. Um, Actually, the first two bowls of that ice cream. And he closes the door, sits down beside me, and 
for about 20 minutes, we just talked and had ice cream. And I don't think we talked about what I did. Maybe I said, I'm sorry, I don't know, but we just talked. And I still stayed in my room, but he, he was there with me. And there's a lot of times my dad and I spent together. I don't remember most of them, but I remember that one. It's such, it such a vivid memory with that one. Because he came into my consequence with me and walked me through it with me, just hung out with me. And, 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 and just that tender moment, that intimate time was maybe one of the more significant times I can remember of hanging out with my dad. And I'd done something wrong. I deserved it. But my happy face dad with me in the consequence walking me through it. And if you're in a place where you're far from God or you've blown it or you've messed up and you're trying to hide from God or trying to make up for it or whatever. You know, Revelation 2 is a passage where, where Jesus looks at this church who's messing up and says, hey, look, I'm outside the door knocking. And I'd love to come in. And if you open the door, I'll come in and we'll hang out. He didn't talk about chocolate chip ice cream, but I can picture that, you know, and I'll, I'll come in and I'll hang out with you. I'll fellowship with you, which actually is a food term. Uh, let, 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 let's eat together. Let's hang out together. The church is screwing up. That what God wants to do is to be is to be invited even into our missteps. Doesn't make them good. Doesn't mean there's not consequences. Doesn't mean He doesn't grieve Him. Just like you know, all that's there. But even when we fail, if we fall forward into His grace, it actually propels us further in our journey. It's just the wonder of grace. So let's put all this together because I don't know where you are with God. Maybe. You're thinking, I don't know if I have a relationship with God. I don't even know what that means. If you're trying to be good enough for God and trying to become a saint just by sheer effort, good luck with that. Because it's not going to work. It's a bad system. We're, we're so imperfect, we're terrible at being good. We can do it for little bits at a time, and then we're going to blow it. All of us, it's just the way it is. God knows that. That's why he came up with a new system, the system he designed all along, and that's grace. What God has for us, he only offers as a gift to be received because it's the only, only we can't earn it. We're justified freely by his grace, not by our works. And so you just quit trying to be good enough on your own and say, God, I can't. And I want to begin a relationship with you. Jesus came, died on the cross to take away the guilt of sin, offers forgiveness. Not only that, but righteousness is a gift. And I say, yes, that's, that's beginning a relationship with God. And once you do that, there's no condemnation and nothing can change it. Because it's not based on what you do. It's based on what he's done for your behalf. And then for those who've already made that decision, you think, well, that's crazy, but crazy good. And, and, but I want to grow. I like if, if God says, okay, I, he declares me righteous, but he's also making me righteous, I the more I can enjoy of his righteousness, of, of spiritual transformation now, the better. He's committed to doing it. Sometimes we now when we die or when we see Jesus, it's going to happen. But you and I help set the pace by the steps and decisions we make. Whether we walk with him into that life or not, we help set the pace of it. And so for you, maybe it's a positive step that God is putting on your heart to take. And let me encourage you to take it and walk with him into newness of life because it's better. 
the whole righteousness thing is not about God wanting to make us miserable. It's he, he knows how life works. It's like, man, I, I just want your life to be better. And, and the reason he grieves when we go the other way is because it really screws up our life. And if you're on the other side of that and think, man, I, I'm a, I've screwed up. It's okay. You have to run and hide or try to do better. What? Just bring it to God. And all he has for you is grace. That's all he has for you is his grace and his mercy. And he will even walk you through the consequences of sin. Sin has consequences. Doesn't do away with that. But he will even walk us through that in the process, draw us closer. It's crazy, saints. Crazy. This new thing that God came to do that we call good news. That the Bible calls good news. Let's pray together. Bow our heads together. Let me encourage you, you know, prayer is just talking to God in our own words. And, and this is really about us and God and, and our Christian faith or just our life with God. And so right now it may be an opportunity for you to say, God, I want to begin a relationship with you. I, I, I'm going to give up the performance-based religion thing because I get it. That's just oppressive and it doesn't work. And I'm just going to trust that what the Bible says is true, that Jesus came to bring something way different. That's grace, which is not about what I do, but about what he's done for me. And he says it's a gift, and I say yes to all of it. God, come into my life and change me and grow me and forgive me and declare me righteous. I mean, I, it's crazy good, and I'm, I'm all in on this. And once we make that transition... What he says is true. There's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, no matter what. And for those who've taken that step, it's an opportunity to say, God, I want to walk with you into that deeper and deeper into the life you want for me. As I've been declared righteous, but also being made righteous. As I've been made perfect, but also being made perfect. And so, God, as you're working in my life, I want to join you. I want to be more intentional about that. And so, God... What good step are you calling me to take? And and I encourage you just to ask him and to whisper into your heart. And and just say, God, help me take that step. And for those of you who are weighed down with sin and guilt and shame, for a person in Jesus, guilt and shame is just not a destination. It's not... It's not a. It's not where he calls us to be. We don't have to be there. And just invite him into that brokenness. But God, you're knocking at the door. You want to come in, into my brokenness, into my sin, and bring healing and help, and even use that to grow me. And God, just Lord, help me fall toward you, not away from you. God, help me not listen to the enemy. Satan that would whisper, God doesn't love you. Such a screw up. God, help me listen to you. So, Lord, it's a crazy thing. You call us saints. And you're making us what you call us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.